Welcome to the Royal Society of Medicine's Trauma and Orthopaedic Section podcast. My name is Akib Khan. I am an orthopaedic registrar on the RSM Council, and I will be your host through this series of podcasts. We will feature global experts and key opinion leaders discussing innovation, progress, and current practice within their subspecialties. These speakers have all contributed at one of our events. For more details on our events, please visit the Royal Society of Medicine website or on socials using the handle RSM Ortho. Welcome to this episode of the Royal Society of Medicine's Trauma and Orthopaedic Podcast. Today I'm joined by Mr. Matthew Dawson. Mr. Dawson is one of the leading authorities on osteotomy surgery in the UK, and he is a founder member of the Osteotomy Expert Group. Mr. Dawson is a strong advocate of the principles of joint preservation in order to prolong knee activity and knee function to the highest level. He launched the annual Northern Osteotomy Masterclass in June 2015, and he's a founder member of UK Core, the world's first national osteotomy registry. In addition to this, he is the current chair of ESCA's Osteotomy Committee. Thank you very much for joining us at the Royal Society of Medicine. My pleasure. You've just delivered a talk which covers the power of the osteotomy, and particularly how you can ward off the need for a joint replacement in patients who have osteoarthritis of the knee. My first question for you is, is there an age or a functional cutoff for patients to receive osteotomy surgery? Well, I think the answer to that is quite simply no. Um, And then to explain that, I think we need to have some evidence and some rationale. Uh, Some of the evidence can be reached by looking at other cultures. And one of the Eastern cultures in Japan sees regular, regular surgery in over 70 and over 80 year olds even, where in their, in their culture, it's actually quite normal for, a, for an octogenarian lady to run still, whereas perhaps in our culture, we don't see that so much. So it is, it is seen, and the evidence bears that out, that it can be a very successful operation in the older age group. And the, the natural um, comparator in our society would be the, the patient who remains very, very active, very fit and well, and wishes to maintain that level of activity well into their 70s and 80s. And there is a growing group of patients who come with that wish to remain as active as possible, who are purely and simply confounded by the alignment of their leg, which finally leads to arthritis and stops them doing the activities. Simply reversal of the malalignment can restore their activities amazingly well without thinking about joint replacement. Thank you. Um, Now, you described osteotomy as having a huge spectrum of indications um, without burning bridges. What what do you mean by this? So osteotomy has this huge range because it applies from the very youngest age all the way through, as we've just alluded, to the oldest age. Now, in the younger age group, as an adult orthopedic surgeon, we don't necessarily, or I don't necessarily see such referrals, but we know that pediatric orthopedic surgeons are regularly employing osteotomy, sometimes in congenital, sometimes post-traumatic, and sometimes in metabolic bone disorders in the younger. And I've seen these patients as they um, pass puberty and, and come into adulthood as, as um, patients in my own in my own practice. The spectrum isn't just that, though. The spectrum can come about because of deformity and the nature of deformity. Deformity can be acquired, 
deformity can be congenital, it can be hereditary. So because of the huge range of disease pattern that we see, then the application of osteotomy can be very widespread. Now what we mean by not burning bridges is that, uh, you know, we talk about joint replacement as, a, as a, an intervention which really is better getting it right first time, to use a, a common phrase of the day. Um, because if you don't get it right first time with a knee replacement, subsequent interventions are de facto not as successful and may indeed be catastrophic or certainly lead to a salvage situation where you're potentially arthrodesing or even amputating. The benefit of, of osteotomy is it doesn't burn that particular bridge. You can still do the joint replacement down the line. And in many cases, you're not only protecting the joint, but you're actually aligning it better and a subsequent arthroplasty may even be easier, more straightforward, and may preserve collateral ligaments and other ligaments which might otherwise have been sacrificed by rather, you know, uh, aggressive or uh, excessive bone cuts because they were, you're trying to straighten the leg through the joint replacement. So in that sense, it's, it's conserving and it, pre it prevents damage that might otherwise be caused by intervening uh, with the joint replacement. You've actually answered my next question, which was, um, is osteotomy ever a temporary solution? That is a good question, and I, and I think it deserves an answer because, um, you know, I think they, they, are, they are completely different entities. A joint replacement, I think, we should regard as a, as a once-only. We should be looking at joint replacement as an operation we only do once on our patient. And there's good evidence in the literature about the age at which you should do this. There's lots of indicators. Nothing is absolutely concrete, but there's one good paper saying that if you operate on a patient below the age of 58 with a knee replacement, then they're more than likely to require revision. And over 58, the opposite. So, you know, if, you, if you're going to do a joint replacement in a 49-year-old, you're almost definitely offering them two joint replacements in a natural life, maybe even three or four. So. If you're in that situation, I would say it's a much better alternative to say, I'm going to operate on this guy's knee more than once, then I will use the lesser intervention, the extra articular intervention, the one that's less destructive, the one that's more conserving, the one that will not be uh, the first of a sequence of knee replacement. And in that sense, the osteotomy is, is a perfectly viable operation to do with, with the intention of it being a temporary, if you like, a temporary solution. So I think, I think it does deserve an answer to that question. I think it's an important question because let's face it, if you go into a joint replacement situation, knowing you're gonna do it again, I think you've got to ask yourself some serious questions. Sure. Now, let's say you have a patient in front of you who um, you're considering doing an osteotomy on, a young patient who has antremedial osteoarthritis, what preoperative tests are essential for you to get the osteotomy right? That's, that's a very important question and alludes to the modern philosophy where now we're taking this much, much more seriously and understanding um, that deformity analysis is paramount in actually succeeding with osteotomy. So it's one thing to look at a guy or a woman walk and identify that they have a bow leg, a varus knee, or a, a valgus knee, knock knee, that's one thing, but it's even more important to identify the level at which that deformity exists. And we know now, much more than we used to, that a varus knee can be, in perhaps 70% of cases, purely within the tibia, 
but that 20% of cases it might be in a mixture of the tibia and the femur, and in 10% of cases purely in the femur. And that's very important because it means that seven times out of 10, you'll get it right if you do it in the tibia, but potentially up to 30% of the time, if you do it all in the tibia, you might create a problem within the joint. And so we call this um, deformity analysis, whereby we look at uh, long leg x-rays, that is to say hip, knee to ankle radiographs. Nowadays, of course, these are digital radiographs and we can play around with software tools and make it a lot easier to measure all of the different angles between the hip, the knee, and the ankle. And it's very important to measure two particular angles. One is the top of the tibia called the MPTA or the medial proximal tibial angle. And the other one is the outer aspect at the end of the femur called the mechanical lateral distal femoral angle, the MLDFA. These are the two really important angles because these are the ones that tell you if your deformity is in the tibia, in the femur, or both. And so it's an incredibly important first move to do that test, to do that long leg x-ray. To make it even more challenging, it's got to be projected properly because it can be projected badly and that in itself can lead to misinterpretation and miscalculation. So we need the patella centered on the femur, at the end of the femur, to get a good and reliable uh, reproducible view. So good, well-projected, patella-centered, long-leg alignment radiographs, absolutely essential. Um, the other parts of the series which I use in all of my patients is to um, achieve a Rosenberg x-ray, which I think is important, to see how much arthritis there is in the medial or lateral compartment, because standard weight-bearing x-rays with a knee straight do not necessarily show the, um, uh, the uh, advancement of the osteoarthritis or the narrowing of the joint space. I always look for the patella. I think it's important to, 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 to understand what, the, what is happening with the patella because sometimes the varus knee with medial osteoarthritis can have uh, arthritis in the lateral aspect of the patella, which is a little bit confounding, but it's very important to, to recognize that. And then probably in the, in, the, in the, well, sorry, I should say the lateral view is very important because we must understand the top of the tibia, the so-called tibial slope which is becoming, a, again, a much more recognized and influential factor in assessment and in treatment of knees. And if you have a high tibial slope, then that can prejudice the success of uh, cruciate ligament surgery, anterior cruciate ligament surgery particularly. And the reverse is true uh, also for posterior cruciate ligament if the slope is in the other direction. So these are particularly important things to pick up on the uh, x-rays. Uh, also, for every osteotomy, as indeed for every unicondyly replacement these days, uh, I get a, an MRI scan. And I think it's important to have a, a, have a pretty good idea of what's happening throughout the joint lateral compartment. And MRI scans tell you about um, pathology as well as, as, as telling you about um, um, structural issues because they give you a, a hint as to the activity within the bone marrow, if there's overload, if there's um, bone edema, which tells you a little bit about where the pressure is inside the joint when the patient is walking. So that would be the full set of x-rays and an MRI scan as routine. Thank you very much. Now let's say that you have um, managed to get all of the, those images and you've decided that you need to proceed with an osteotomy and you've done your measurements, decided on the correction which you're going to make. What are the key intraoperative steps? So th this is... Um, um, very important for surgeons, particularly uh, at, the, at the start of their careers. And 
it's um it's 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 going back to the five p's which i'm sure you won't need to me to verbalize completely but preparation uh, preparation preparation etc you know it's so important to have the mantra and remember that in osteotomy there's it's a little bit of a challenge and you must prepare 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 so as we've already alluded the investigation and the attention to detail with the x-rays is paramount um it, it's it's much less tolerant of a lazy poorly prepared x-ray than say a knee replacement or a hip replacement these x-rays have to be done properly so firstly be very very uh, scrutinizing of your the quality of your x-rays and make sure that that is looked after first the setup of your patient in theater is very important too and also your team very important too because there is less if, there, if you like um, room for error in this situation you need good support and uh, as um, Philip Lobbenhofer, who has been referred to as the father of osteotomy of modern times, um, says that he, in his words, the most important part of setup in your osteotomy is your assistant. So it is very, very important to have that assistant uh, on, online and actually uh, in tune with what you're doing and understanding and hopefully experience. So that's before you even um, touch the uh, patient with, with a knife. So that's the setup, absolutely critical. So in terms of um, uh, the operation itself, it's good radiography. It's a good radiographer who's experienced. Um, the anaesthetist is important because you want to have uh, a good um, enhanced recovery protocol if you possibly can. The patient that's been prepared fully understands all of the issues regarding pain after surgery. Uh, I prefer a spinal anaesthetic and um, short-acting opiates in the spinal, and I use an enhanced recovery um, uh, pharmacology using gabapentin, uh, anti-inflammatories. Um, then we use, um, after the surgery, we use ice compression elevation. So all of these elements, I haven't even mentioned the surgery really, are so important to successful osteotomy. The operation itself, if you follow the, um, the, uh, the guidelines, if you follow the uh, surgical technique, it is not a difficult operation. But like so many other things in surgery, it's a very easy operation to get wrong. So it's, it's attention to detail, following the simple guidance and sticking to the simple rules. And I would commend anybody who's interested in osteotomy to attend the courses that we run, both the Northern Osteotomy course or the London Osteotomy course with my colleague Adrian Wilson, um, to make sure that we have a good grounding and a good understanding. Even, even better, go and visit the centre, visit an expert and see how they do these things and get a sense of just what it is that, that, that makes this work well, it, you'll largely find that by going to centers, it's all about setup, it's all about the environment, it's all about getting all of these factors in place. The surgery actually isn't that difficult, um, but getting, getting the surround, the milieu that builds up the comfort zone for you, putting you in a, in a safe envelope, that's so important. It's not the sort of surgery to do uh, out in the limb with no support. So environment, your team, the preparation, uh, and the surgery is relatively easy, but visit centers and get the education before you start. Those are some very good tips. Thank you very much for sharing. Um, how do you rehabilitate your patients after an osteotomy? There's little doubt, um, and I'm reminded of this on a daily basis, so we'll never pretend otherwise, that an osteotomy is more painful than a joint replacement. And uh, anybody who argues differently, I would, I would raise an eyebrow, um, because we're all searching for that holy grail that makes an osteotomy a walk in the park as it were you know a unicondylar knee replacement in comparison with an osteotomy 
is generally speaking, uh, it's a soft operation. It's, it's easy to get over. You get your you get your plateau. You get to your your tolerance level pretty quickly uh, with minimal pain. Osteotomies tend to be quite painful for a week or two. So in terms of rehab, it's very important to get your pain relief right at the very start. I, I'm a big believer in preemptive uh, analgesia and, and, and hitting the pain pathway before you actually hit the patient with a knife. So I think getting preemptive analgesia into patients and also the education element beforehand, very important too. So the rehab and the pain relief, all, all pre-education. And then afterwards, the rehab is, is about keeping swelling down with ice compression and then careful mobilization. So th there has been evidence recently that, you know, pushing knees to bend them quickly uh, in, in the world of unicondinese has been shown to not necessarily be that important. You know, the bend can come and it will come. You don't have to force it to 90 degrees on the first day. So I, I, I agree with that principle. Don't force it. Um, work within the comfort zone. Elevate, compress, ice. And when it comes to weight bearing, there are no prizes. There are no rosettes for being able to walk a mile within two days. It, it's, it's, it's a false target. So I say to patients that these are the goals, fully weight bear at two weeks as comfort allows. If you can fully weight bear at two days, congratulations, but don't overdo it. So full weight bearing we know, if you do it from 10 or 12 days, is associated with a very good outcome. And if, if you protect the knee and stop a patient weight bearing for six weeks and compare it with the group who have weight borne straight away, then you'll find that the immediate weight bearers do better at three and six months than the patients who protected their knee for six weeks. But then if you look at both groups together in a year, they're back to the same again. So ultimately, it doesn't affect the overall outcome, but certainly the early outcome goals are, are quicker and better with early um, enhanced recovery and enhanced rehab. So it is a good idea to, to early weight bear. That's, I would say, from two weeks. Um, not overdo things. The muscular strengthening um, is a, is a follow-on from the prehab. You must have the muscles as good as possible beforehand as well. So a lot of it falls in line with modern enhanced recovery, modern practice of not uh, not going crazy about rehab, but doing it at the right um, um, the right volume at the right time in a measured way. Thank you. And lastly, what are the recent technical advances in osteotomy surgery? And I particularly want to um, get your views on the magnetic nail that you were showing um, some slides on during your talk. Thank you. Um, you know, the, the, the osteotomy revolution in modern terms occurred towards the end of the uh, 1990s with the evolution of locking plate technology with titanium locking plates, which were related to the list plate, which is the trauma plate. And that was a major jump forward. But there were still limitations with the strength of uh, osteotomies. And so one of the more recent advances, which I commend my colleagues in, in France and uh, around the globe um, for is the use of a, a screw to actually augment and strengthen the hinge point of an osteotomy. So that's an advancement, if you like, of a conventional technique, which has made a big difference because hinge fractures can be an issue. So that's a, that's a certain advance. Other advances now, are, we're talking about different ways of actually achieving accuracy. And one of those advances is PSI, that's patient-specific instrumentation. And results from um, um, Parat and uh, Olivier from the Marseille group have shown that there's definitely enhanced, increased accuracy using PSI. However, one of the things that I'm absolutely intrigued with, as you, as you mentioned, 
is the idea of, of a patient-controlled post-operative corrective technique. I don't think we've yet arrived at the destination with, with this particular technique, but it interests me greatly that we can correct uh, an alignment and progressively overcorrect, undercorrect, and accurately attune the alignment according to uh, a magnetic device that we use postoperatively. So this is a very interesting uh, concept because not only does it uh, achieve accurate alignment, but effectively it grows bone as well because we're we're, we're doing a, a sort of hemicalitasis in a sense. We're doing what the uh, limb lengtheners are doing in terms of uh, axial um, lengthening, but we're doing that in a, in a um, uni-compartmental uh, uh, way. So we're, we're lengthening half of the bone, but not the other half to change the angle. So we've done a, a little bit of work to show that the healing is quicker uh, compared with an opening wedge uh, tomafix technique. And we're about to publish more research showing how accurate double osteotomy surgery is using the nail as the tibial component with um, an attending femoral osteotomy uh, above the knee. So it's very exciting. Um, we've got numbers out to about 40 of these cases now. Uh, it, it promises a lot, but I don't think we've yet uh, reached the, the final um, version of this technology. I think we, we could perhaps evolve towards a plate rather than an intramedullary device because I think surgeons are much happier applying plates uh, than they are putting nails into, into knees. And so that's something that we can look to in the future. But the early signs, in my view, are very promising. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us here at the Royal Society of Medicine. Um, I'm sure a lot of people will be signing up to the Northern Osteotomy Masterclass now and registering on UCOR. That's lovely. Well, thanks very much for, for having me. Thank you for listening to the Royal Society of Medicine's Orthopaedic Section podcast. For more details on our events and speakers, please visit the Royal Society of Medicine's website or follow us on social media using the handle RSMAutho.